Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Justin Peters. I hope that this finds you and your family doing well today. I want to thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Well, a couple of days ago, as of this recording, Rick Warren made a lot of news in the evangelical world when he announced that he had been appointed as Chancellor of Spurgeon's College. Spurgeon's College was founded by Charles Spurgeon back in the late 1800s. And this raised a lot of eyebrows because Rick Warren is famously or infamously, depending upon your point of view, a full-blown egalitarian. In other words, he believes that women are permitted not only to preach, but even to serve as pastors of local churches. And some people were scratching their heads wondering, well, how is it that he is Chancellor of Spurgeon's College when Charles Spurgeon uh, was not egalitarian, he was complementarian, uh, he did not believe that women could serve as pastors. Uh, but Rick Warren came out and he assured everybody, he said, oh no, Spurgeon's College has informed me that my theology on female preachers and pastors is exactly the same as that of Charles Spurgeon. Well, uh, I was a bit dubious about this, um, but I wanted to reach out to a, a friend of mine and uh, an esteemed scholar. His name is Dr. Ed Romine. Ed has been a preacher since 2007. Ed holds a bachelor's in music from Henderson State University, a master of divinity in biblical languages, and a master of theology from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, as well as a master of theology and a Ph.D., from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He currently serves as the pastor of education and evangelism at First Baptist Church of Provo, Utah. And Ed recently wrote his doctoral dissertation on Charles Spurgeon. So I knew he would be able to help us get to the bottom of this and answer the question, uh, is Rick Warren's theology completely commensurate with the theology of Charles Haddon Spurgeon as it, uh, female preachers as Rick Warren claims that it is. So um, Ed is not only a capable uh, scholar, he is a very capable preacher. He handles the text of Scripture very well. And Ed and I share something else in common. Not only are we both preachers, but we both have cerebral palsy. Uh, and Ed, uh, one of the things I really appreciate about, appreciate about Ed is uh, he, he does not make his handicap the center point of his ministry. He's committed to preaching, but he doesn't let his handicap stop him. He gets out. He preaches not only behind the pulpit, but he gets out on the street, and he open-air preaches and has a tremendous heart for evangelism. As if he were a condemned sinner, and all the wrath of God that was supposed to be put on God's elect was put upon him. All of God's people, all of God's people, he drank it all for them. And not only did he die shedding every bit of his blood for his people, the Bible says that he also rose again on their behalf, forever defeating death, hell, 
the gray. And Ed is just a great, great guy. I first met Ed, I think, oh, back in um, 2010 uh, or so, 2010, 2011. He's, uh, so we've been friends now for over a decade. He's just a great, great guy. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to have him on the program, and he's going to help us wade through these waters. Uh, is Rick Warren being truthful with us when he says that his theology and that of Charles Spurgeon is uh, exactly the same as it relates to women behind the pulpit. All right, dear ones, um, I have a number of links down below in the description and uh, ways that you can get in touch with Ed. And um, if after watching this interview, if if you feel so inclined, would like to help Ed in some of his ministerial endeavors in a, in a tangible way, those links will be available to you and uh, you can do that. But um, all right. Thank you so much, dear ones. Uh, without any further delay, here's my interview with Dr. Ed Romine. Well, Ed, brother, thank you so much for joining me today, giving us your time. How are you? I'm doing well, dear brother. It's a, it's a joy to be on here with you and to be able to just do more fellowship, this time in a public way, you know. We talk, it seems like, multiple times a year, right? And yeah. so now we're, we're just essentially letting in other people on conversations that we have all the time. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, well, I've been wanting to have you on my YouTube channel for some time now, and I've uh, just had so many irons in the fire, but I'm glad we have this opportunity. Uh, the first question I want to ask you, Ed, and you don't know I'm about to ask you this, but you sent me... In my email, I asked for a little bio sketch, even though I know you, but I wanted all the particulars. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the items in your bio sketch says that you enjoy drinking third wave coffee with church members. Now, mm-hmm. uh, third wave—that's a—that's a charisma. You're, are you are you going to start speaking in tongues in this program, or uh, what? Oh, only if wave? I speak in Spanish to you, while I'll be speaking in tongues to you. So that—that's the. That's the only other language that I know really well. Um, I've studied Haitian Creole, and I'm currently studying Japanese. And, wow. uh, you know, Japanese to the untrained ear could sound like Pentecostal tongues until you get to know it. But then you realize it's an actual language yeah. with real parts of speech. Right. And, and it's, it's not like the charismatic, uh, uh, practice where you can't understand anything. There's no discernible parts of speech, but right. I, I love languages, but I've never spoken in Pentecostal or charismatic tongues. That's good. But, That's good. But so, to, to your um, question about third wave coffee, it has yeah. nothing to do with theology, but it has everything to do with how you roast the beans and prepare the beans, where you get the beans oh. from. So it's basically uh, well-prepared coffee. And the only reason why I know and like it, it's Pastor Brendan Scoggins' fault here at First Baptist Provo. He is a supreme coffee snob that is still very lovable. And uh, he is he is just a joy, but, but he's converted me. So now, now when I drink coffee that's not third wave, I have to put heavy whipping cream in it. Okay. But a right. good third wave coffee is the only type of coffee I'll drink black. So 
Okay. Well, I was I was a little concerned when I read that third wave coffee. I thought I was going to have to put you in my seminar class without water. So that's that's mm, that's well, good. That's hey, good. I'd I'd sit in on that seminar anyway. So <laughs> uh, that that's not punishment for me. So <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, brother. Well, you have uh, recently completed your PhD. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your dissertation is entitled The Booming Baritone Bell of England, The Pedagogy and Practice of Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Open Air Preaching. So you are an expert on Charles Spurgeon. I guess I must ask you, too, uh, pedagogy, that's not a word we use every day. So uh, what, what is pedagogy? Yeah, so that simply means the art of how to teach. So so the meat of my dissertation essentially goes over Spurgeon's teaching to others, the art of open-air preaching, mm-hmm. and then the practice, more obviously, has to do with Spurgeon's own use of open-air preaching in his own ministry, so the fact that he did it. so. The pedagogy of Spurgeon's open-air preaching primarily, although not completely, but primarily comes from two lectures that he gave from volume two of Lectures to My Students. Uh, Lectures to My Students was originally four volumes. Uh, Most, you buy now, they put it in one giant volume, but technically volume two. He's got two lectures on open-air preaching. The first lecture is entitled Open Air Preaching, uh, a Sketch of Its History. And that is what it sounds like. He goes really all the way back to Old Testament times, showed how the the Old Testament preachers open air preached, even in their prophesying to those who would not hear. So, like, for example, the easiest one to talk about would be Jeremiah. He was considered the weeping prophet. Uh, Nobody really liked him, and he had a lot of tough things to say that were the words of Yahweh. But he did that uh, primarily in the open air. And then if you look at New Testament books, I believe this is Galatians off the top of my head, uh, Paul says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but we don't actually see recorded when Noah, Noah preached. We just know right. that he built the ark, but we know right. from Paul's words that Noah was a preacher. So Spurgeon makes the assumption he probably preached in the open air. So Spurgeon starts out in the Old Testament, and then he goes into the New and of course, he shows how Jesus himself and Mark one fifteen preached along the seashore, which is still in the open air. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and so and he shows how the apostles open air preached. You see it throughout the book of Acts. And then he goes into early church history, uh, pre-reformational medieval history, there were friars who, according to Spurgeon, opened their preached and were kind of the fuel that flamed the Reformation. And then, of course, Spurgeon says that the Reformation itself 
was on the backs of open-air preachers uh, that Luther and Cranmer and the English Reformation and and Zwingli with the Swiss Reformation, those guys were the figureheads, but Spurgeon argues that there was also a resourcement of open-air preaching, uh, calling back from apostolic and medieval days that angered the Catholic Church and fueled the Reformation. Yeah, okay. So, And then he traces, you know, past the Reformation, the 1600s, the 1700s, all the way on, up to his current day with uh, himself in the 19th century, the 1800s. Yeah. So that's essentially what I looked at was analyzing those lectures for the pedagogy. Um, I went back and uh, supplied footnotes looking at all the original documentation from from Spurgeon and uh, going back to see the sources that he pulled from, put footnotes to a lot of things he said, which uh, took a lot of time, but I'm a dork, so it was enjoyable, <laughs> and uh, just really updating his scholarship so it'll be easier for others who want to build on the back of my research or use my research for their own topic. All right. Good deal. Uh, yep. Good deal. Yeah, well, and then of course there's also the practice as well, which which Spurgeon was a definite practitioner of that. There's three sermons recorded in the big sixty-three volume set. Uh, there was one that's currently been lost to time that we know existed, but nobody can find it. And I also went through and analyzed those sermons, and I showed how. Uh, open air preaching was the impetus for why Spurgeon was such a herald of the cross. So that's my thesis, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, you are well versed in the subject matter at hand, and and uh, what brings us to this point, Ed, is is uh, the recent appointment of Rick Warren as the chancellor of Spurgeon's College. And I do want to make the distinction between Spurgeon's College and Spurgeon College. Those correct. are two different things, right? Correct, correct. So Spurgeon College is the undergraduate arm of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I actually teach online for them, and and uh, the school's been a blessing to me. They they pray for my work out here. Every time I go back, people were asking if I'm Mormon yet, <laughs> and, you know, just in good fun and, and uh, got a lot of wonderful connections there. But, but um, they are extremely more conservative than Spurgeon's College. Yes, Spurgeon's College. So, um, yeah, and that was actually a college that, Rick, Rick Warren, Charles Spurgeon started, but under a different mm -hmm. name, right? Correct. Yeah, it, it was originally the pastor's college. And, right. and the the way it's spelled is very significant. So it's P-A-S-T-O-R-S -S, apostrophe, which is kind of like a theological comma as some people have called it because um, it wasn't pastor's college as in 
Spurgeon thought he owned it, but he put the comma after the S to show that this college is really the students. And if, if it were not for the students who are already in ministry, then yeah. then this college wouldn't exist. Yeah. Well, so when we're dealing with uh, Spurgeon versus Spurgeon's college, as well as the pastor's college, where you put that apostrophe makes uh, all the difference, doesn't it? Correct. Well, well, let me. All right. So what brings us to this point, Ed, brief sketch here. So back in 2021, Rick Warren caused a big theological and ecclesiastical brouhaha when he ordained three women as pastors at Mm -hmm. his church, Saddleback Church, that up until recently he was he served as a pastor of. And of course, Rick uh, Saddleback Church is one of the flagship churches of the Southern Baptist Convention which has always been against women serving as pastors. And there's nothing against women, of course. That's what Scripture teaches. And so that's Mm -hmm. why the SBC is held to that. But he ordained three women as pastors at Saddleback Church. Then the following summer, summer of 2022, he announced his replacement. He was retiring from uh, pastor of Saddleback. And Mm -hmm. his replacement is a guy named Andy Wood. And Andy Wood, as well as his wife, Stacy Wood, they are currently both both serving as pastors of Saddleback Church. Right. And so this is clearly um, egalitarian. It's a abandoning complementarian view, which is the biblical view of men and women, the roles of men and women. And then just a few days ago, as of this recording, we're recording this on what is today, May 19th, Correct. 2023. So just a couple of days ago, May 17th, 2023, uh, Rick Warren announced that he had been named by Spurgeon's College as that institution's first chancellor. And uh, he was very proud about this. Uh, Rick Warren, quoting from his Twitter feed here, says, Charles Spurgeon personally led my great-grandfather to Christ, mentored him at Spurgeon's College, then sent him to America to plant churches. Now we're four generations of Southern Baptist pastors. I inherited Spurgeon's lectern, this portrait, many items, letters, and sermon notes. And mm. there was um, uh, pretty quickly some discussion, pretty pretty enthusiastic discussion about uh, Rick Warren's view of women serving as pastors and preachers, mm-hmm. which he has no problem with, obviously. Correct. And how that deviates from what Charles Spurgeon believed, his theology on female pastors or in women in ministries general, in general. But he said, in, he said this to try to defend himself. He said, quote, the 167-year-old Spurgeon's College in London inducted me as their chancellor, telling me that my views on ordination are identical to Spurgeon's. So <laughs> um, I am reached out to you to employ your expertise here. Is Walk us through some of this, Ed. Is this true? Does, does um, If you were to line up Charles Spurgeon's view on women in ministry and their proper roles and uh, put that side by side. Rick Warren's views, are they indeed identical? Nope. Uh, we can Shocker. start the podcast now. So, Okay. Thank you very much for coming yeah, on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
So, I mean, (laughs) essentially, it's that easy. Um, And I don't say that uh, with any sort of malice or arrogance, even people who are not Christians that wanted to take up Spurgeonic study because they're fascinated by him just in his manhood and what he thought and taught. Yeah. E- even a secular scholar who would be a historian would have to say, yeah, that 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 can't be correct. Right. And, and lest somebody say, like, I, I, I'm being mean, let, let me read a very direct quote here. Uh, all my Spurgeon quotes are long, so I want you... Dear listeners, to pay attention uh, uh, really well because I wanted longer quotes to get Spurgeon in context. (laughs) So here is the first one that, that is very, very direct. Any Christian has a right to disseminate the gospel who has the ability to do so. And more... He not only has the right, but it is his duty so to do as long as he lives. The propagation of the gospel is left, not to a few, but to all the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the measure of grace entrusted to him by the Holy Spirit. Each man is bound to minister in his day and generation both to the church and among unbelievers. Indeed, this question goes beyond men and even includes the whole of the other sex. Whether believers are male or female, they are all bound when enabled by divine grace to exert themselves to the utmost to extend the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our service, however, need not take the particular form of preaching. Certainly, in some cases, it must not, as, for instance, the case of females, whose, listen to this, whose public teaching is expressly prohibited. And he cites 1 Timothy 2.12 and 1 Corinthians uh, 14.34 there. And, And... If I may say, dear brother, I have a sense for what I think Rick Warren means uh, when he tries to say, oh, my my way of thinking about this is identical to Spurgeon's. But if, if you really look at it, he's not saying exactly the same thing. Spurgeon's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, he say, He says that the public teaching ministry it's expressly prohibited. Uh, let, let me give you another quote here, if I may. Remember that when you have told out the story of the cross to men, you are rid of one responsibility. At any rate, if they perish, it will not be because they did not know and they perish through ignorance. It will not be their ignorance through your neglect in teaching them. Now, tonight, I wish to stir up everyone here to become a preacher. Women and all, 
That's very important. So it's saying tonight, I wish I could stir up everyone here to become a preacher, women and all. But look what he says next. Not that I care much for women preaching, but I want them to preach in the sense in which I have laid the matter down. That is, to make known to somebody the wondrous story of the cross. Speak to an individual if you can. If you cannot do that, write. If you cannot write, send a sermon or give a tract. Only do keep on making Christ known. I suppose that there are two or three thousand believers here tonight out of these six thousand people. If every one of you Christians would every day make Christ known to somebody, what a missionary organization we should be. How can they hear without a preacher? Now, let every one of you become, in the sense in which the text means, a preacher by telling out in some form or other and making known in some way or other the wondrous doctrine of salvation by faith in Christ. So Spurgeon is very clear to differentiate his complementarian conviction of women should not be pastors in any sense of the word that he would say that goes against Scripture. Mm-hmm. Where, where Spurgeon did kind of enlarge the definition of preacher is that he considered anybody who was evangelizing a preacher in that sense. So Just, I bet I bet you Rick Warren is, is taking a passage like that that he's probably read before, and he's saying, oh, w- women can be pastors. But Spurgeon is very clear to say, that the office of pastor and the public preaching ministry is prohibited, but women can and should evangelize. So, so to be fair to Spurgeon, I don't think Rick is. I think he's twisting uh, Spurgeon's words for his own agenda there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and it seems like there's even, I mean, there's no doubt. There's no, there's not even any question that Rick Warren is twisting Spurgeon's words and and twisting his intent. So Spurgeon yeah. was was clearly <laughs> against women serving as pastors, women mm-hmm. serving as elders. He was against women preaching in the gathering of the corporate body, the local you know, the church. Correct. Sunday morning, uh, Charles Spurgeon would have never allowed a woman to take the pulpit on a Sunday morning for local church, right? Correct, correct. <clears throat> that that was always a man that that took the the Sunday yeah. morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, Thursday night pulpit preaching hours. Right. And and I will say, um w- within some of the circles I've ran in, um is that there's been some debate about like should women open their preacher not justin and i both know godly brothers who would give a pass on that and oftentimes what they do is they make a distinction between evangelism and preaching which which spurgeon doesn't in one sense he calls evangelism 
preaching. But at the same time, if you look at his open-air preaching and his and his teaching to his students, this is a tacit argument. It's an argument from silence, but in his lectures, women open-air preaching never crosses mind. He always thinks it's a man. Right. Uh, I, I don't even think I talk about that in my dissertation just because it's so tacit. So, but I, if Spurgeon were alive today, I feel very confident he he would disagree with like a, a, a lady getting up and, you know, standing out in the crowd of people, even in the world yeah. and lifting up her voice to preach. Right. I mean, I'm I'm open to being wrong on that. But but I think he would view the open air ministry as an extension of pastoral ministry. Right. Um, he never explicitly says that. To be fair, but but that's my my deduction there. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and it and it seems like an inescapable deduction. Like some things right. are so obvious, you don't have to mention them. Like I, you know, I don't right. have to tell people the sun's going to come up in the east tomorrow mm-hmm. morning because it's that's just, right. We all know it is. So it's, it's one of those things that's so obvious. He, he never even had a reason to mention it. Yes. And, yeah. and unless, unless somebody thinks, well, the quotes I, I, I've read aren't strong enough or explicit enough, let, let me read one more that I think will nail this down for everybody. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> he is talking about. Peter's wife's mother in this sermon. Okay. Notice that what this good woman did was very appropriate. Peter's wife's mother, and this is why I make my assumption, Peter's wife's mother did not get out of her bed and go down the street and deliver an address to an assembled multitude. Sounds like street preaching to me. Uh-huh. Women are best... When they are quiet, I mean that's pretty strong. That's not very politically correct. Correct, <laughs> but, but, but I mean he said it. So women yeah. are best when they are quiet. I share the apostle Paul's feelings when he bade women to be silent in the assembly. Yet there is work for holy women. Oh, that's a beautiful yet. Yet there's mm-hmm. work for holy. Women, and we read of Peter's wife's mother that she arose and ministered to Christ. She did what she could and what she should. She arose and ministered to him. Some people can do nothing that they are allowed to do but waste their energies in lamenting that they are not called to do other people's work. Blessed are they who do what they should do. It is better to be a good housewife or nurse or domestic servant than to be a powerless preacher or graceless talker. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So Spurgeon had, as we all should, as the Bible does, Spurgeon had a very high view of women. He affirmed that women can and should serve in the church, but within their proper God ordained roles, not outside of the role, their roles. Correct, correct. And, and when when it comes to uh, women not being qualified uh, just by nature of what 
what they are. Pe- people, people just get so upset for that in, the, in today's culture. But I'll tell you when when you ask me to do research on this topic, um, Spurgeon doesn't talk about this all that much. I mean, you you have the Salvation Army organization that you know let uh, women preach in pulpits and in the open air. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean, Spurgeon lived in a culture in, in which um, he didn't have to think about that much. People in the 19th century Victorian England yeah. viewed womanhood in a more biblical and proper way. And yeah. All the scholars from Christian uh, scholars all the way to, uh, you know, liberal scholars acknowledge that part of history, like women were not viewed in the same way they are now in egalitarian terms being equal in every sense possible does it does does that make good sense what i'm saying so yes like for spurgeon he he never really mentioned this much unless it came up in the text because it wasn't as much of a hot button issue uh when women women preaching would have been uh, considered odd amongst the larger Victorian culture from from everything that I've I've studied and know. So yeah, some something that's just not an issue. Obviously, you wouldn't raise it very often. I mean, if it's if it's not an issue, if it's something that's just not happening, which it really didn't back then in Victorian England. Um, you know, there's really not much need to to make mention of it on a right. regular basis. But uh, very different. Right. Very different day and age in which we're living today. In fact, that really changed, Ed, with the not to go off on another topic, but that that really changed with the advent of the Pentecostal slash charismatic movement right here in the States. And then you have the rise of uh women like Amy Simple McPherson and Catherine Kuhlman. And of course right. women, women in the charismatic movement preach as much as men do. But right. so but back in Spurgeon's day in the 1800s, just wasn't really a thing. Right. Not to the same degree that right. that it is now. Right. Uh, Nowhere for, near. For sure. Nowhere near. So, like I said, it, you did have the Salvation Army. You did have, like, the Society of Friends, the Quakers. But, I mean, yeah, they, yeah. They, they were not mainstream. Right. Um, yeah, they were so, very fringe. Very fringe. Right, right, right. And, and um, one thing else I think is so helpful in, in this discussion is, is just to talk about the the nature of of preaching itself. And, and preaching is something that Spurgeon would would oftentimes say it's not it's not child's play, and and to take it very seriously, and. and Every time he said that, he was always talking to men. He was talking to his pastor's college students. Like, you need to take this very, very seriously. So, All, all of whom were men, by the way. All of the correct. students at pastor's correct. college. Yep. Correct. They were, they were all men. And, and, and Spurgeon was, was um, more ecumenical especially in his early, 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 in his later days in the 
than a lot of people uh, tend to think of him as. And, and I found a quote that was actually uh, alerted to me by a dear friend uh, at Midwestern. He's doing this PhD on Spurgeon. Uh, and he's talking about uh, what it is to preach. And, and it's very shocking uh, when, you, when you hear this quote but but I think it's helpful because it shows the high supremacy and value Spurgeon put on preaching. So <laughs> we don't know exactly when he wrote this in his autobiography, but it's found in volume two. Okay. Uh, and, and and this is gonna this is gonna shock you, brother. It did me when I first heard it, but I think you're really gonna like the quote overall. Okay. So Spurgeon is in Brussels. And he says, in Brussels, I heard a good sermon in a Romish church. The place was crowded with people, many of them standing, though they might have had a seat for a half penny or a farthing. And I stood too, and the good priest, for I believe he is a good man, preached the Lord Jesus with all his might. He spoke of the love of Christ so that I a very poor hand at the French language, could fully understand him. And my heart kept beating within me as he told of the beauties of Christ and the preciousness of his blood and of his power to save the chief of sinners. He did not say justification by faith, but he did say efficacy of the blood, which comes to very much the same thing. He did not tell us we were saved by grace and not by our works, but he did say that all the works of men were less than nothing when brought into competition with the blood of Christ and that the blood of Jesus alone could save. True, there were objectionable sentences, and naturally there must be in a discourse delivered under such circumstances, but I've but I could have gone to the preacher and have said to him, Brother, you have spoken the truth, and if I had been handling the text, I must have treated it in the same way that he did, if I could have done it as well. I was pleased to find my own opinion verified in his case, for there are, even in the apostate church, some who cleave unto the Lord some sparks of heavenly fire that flicker amidst the rubbish of old superstition, some lights that are not blown out, even by the strong wind of popery, but still cast a feeble gleam across the water sufficient to guide the soul to the rock, Jesus Christ. And I bring that up to say that if Spurgeon could say that, uh, about a Roman Catholic priest when 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 uh in, in our day we have uh the what used to be known as the pastor's college doubt doubting basic biblical truths and going headlong into heresy i mean I mean that tells you something about how how much Spurgeon would be rolling over in his grave if he knew. Because, because he he was 
he was certainly happy to welcome anybody, even a Catholic, that he thought was truly preaching the gospel. But he he would be crying tears in heaven if if he knew just how apostate uh, Spurgeon's College uh, has become and is becoming. He would be rolling over in his proverbial grave. Correct, correct. And so I, I say all that to say it's like Spur- Spurgeon rejoiced in anybody that preached the gospel, but I do not think he could rejoice in the direction of what's now known as Spurgeon's no. College. Yeah, no, and it, and it's if Rick Warren doesn't know this about Spurgeon, then then shame on him for not doing his research but it's just it's just I, I don't even know i mean spurgeon is such a such a studied man so much has been written about him and, and your contribution your thesis is uh, a welcome addition to that body of research mm-hmm. it's just uh, incomprehensible to me that he he didn't know this about spurgeon and and so it brings up questions of his character and integrity because i don't see how you get around the the right. conclusion that he just lied right Right, right, and he 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 either lied or is ignorant, and there's no excuse for ignorance. No, not at this. Um, not when it, not when a ten second Google search can prove what you're saying is wrong. Right, right, so, and and to be fair, um, so a couple of these quotes I've gotten out of a wonderful article, uh, by by Jeff Chang and. Alex De Prima, who are two other Spurgeon scholars that they wrote for Nine Marks and, and the Nine Marks website. And I will send you the link to that so you can put it in the show notes. But, but okay. just to be fair, I just wanted to say some of these quotes I, I lifted from, from them. Um, and, and I verified them that, that Spurgeon yeah. actually said all these. So. So right. nobody's plagiarized anything, but right. but really, what what you see in that quote, you see a theology of preaching that Spurgeon is rejoicing in, and, and he says in that quote, just to say again, uh, he he talked about the preciousness of the blood of Christ, and, and he talked about the efficacy of the atonement. Uh, as he's remembering this preacher. And, and that's our goal as preachers, is we want to, as Peter says, proclaim his excellencies. And, and uh, when, when, when you look at, I would say, the vast majority of, of, of women preachers, many of them, do not proclaim Christ's excellencies anyway. That they've got far too many problems. But yeah. even for the sliver out there that that do and might, I, I would still say, dear sister, you are walking in in rebellion to God's explicit word. And and Spurgeon would say the same thing. Yeah. And, and it's not that we are saying that there's no scenario in which that woman could ever proclaim the excellencies of 
Christ in the context of evangelism and even in the context of uh, one-on-one mentoring and, and Sunday school yeah. opportunities. Uh, in the in the 1800s, the Sunday schools were uh, primarily for children. In fact, that's how they started out was to teach children. Right. And right. there was one specific, let me see if I can get to it here, one specific Sunday school teacher that Spurgeon absolutely loved. And her name, I'm probably going to butcher this, Lavinia Bartlett. And, and look at what Spurgeon says about Lavinia Bartlett. She was a Sunday school teacher for years and years and years at the Met Tab. <laughs> he says, Lavinia Bartlett's unstaggering reliance upon the Savior has led many of you, and he's talking to his congregation, has led many of you to confide in him. You saw how she believed. You saw the joy which her faith brought her, the calm rest and power which she obtained, and you were led to Jesus Christ, perhaps unconsciously to yourselves, very much through her example. She was a thorough and complete believer downright in her convictions and rooted in her principles. She was immersed in the Lord Jesus. What a worker she was. Nobody will ever know until the books are opened at the last day how much she did. I do not believe that any mother in this place knows her children much better than she knew the members of this Sunday school class. Her heart was large and her efforts incessant. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Spurgeon clearly, as as we should all, valued women serving in the church, just serving mm-hmm. within their proper roles, and and teaching teaching children would yep. certainly be uh, appropriate, but not once those uh not once those boy children get older and move into their teenage right. years and you, you, it's just not appropriate. It's not biblical. And right. Right. And, and per a, like, as far as evangelism, Ed, I think I'm pretty sure I speak for you and me both. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have no problem at all with uh, a woman, you know, if she gets into a conversation with, um, you know, some guy somewhere out and about, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know bus or or whatever if if an opportunity comes up where she can present the gospel or give the man a track now that having been said i wouldn't encourage women to go out and do that on their own because there's among other things there's safety issues there right but you know i like it here's what i'm getting at an acts chapter 18 situation an aquila priscilla situation you know that would be entirely appropriate kathy and i uh we've had people couples over to our house before on a number of occasions to have dinner and we'll sit around, we'll talk about the gospel. Uh, if they're not converted, we'll evangelize them, you know, and, and Kathy will participate in those conversations, those discussions, mm-hmm. but we're not, you know, we're in our home. We're not right at church on Sunday morning. She's not behind the pulpit. Right. That's right. Uh, there, there is, uh, one quote just to be very, um, Thorough with Spurgeon's own thoughts on this that that uh, y- you may disagree with, brother. I'm 
uh, I'm actually undecided on a situation like this. So, so I would love to hear your thoughts. So, and yeah. this is exactly what we do together on the phone all the time. So I just bounce stuff off of you. So this time we're doing, doing it in public. So to give you a little bit of background, when Spurgeon was 15 years old, um, he had come into a contact with with an older lady, um, older as in I think like 60s-ish, I could be wrong on that, named Mary King. And Mary King actually taught him uh, Calvinistic doctrine and, and, and a lot of theology. And, and this is what he says. I find it really interesting. Uh, Mary King was a good old soul and liked something very sweet indeed. Good, strong Calvinistic doctrine. Many a time we have gone over the covenant of grace together and talked of the personal election of the saints, their union in Christ, their final perseverance, and what vital godliness meant. And I do believe I learned more from her than I should have learned from any six doctors of divinity of the sort we have nowadays. And, and if, if you know Spurgeon, he's uh, jabbing in the eyeball the, 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 the theologians of the established church, the Church of England. Yeah. Uh, so, so he's making a jab at them saying like, 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 uh, you big dummies don't know scripture. I've learned more from this old woman that nobody's ever heard of. And yeah. she knew theology better than you guys. So, right. so, so Spurgeon, because of Mary King's influence, wouldn't have even been against like a one on one mentoring situation or something like that, uh, with the age difference. So, why it really would have been like a mom or probably more like a grandma teaching teaching a son type person. So so just to be fair to Spurgeon, there there is that in his uh, ministry upbringing and influence as well. But but again, what we're not saying is that Mary King got up uh, in a pulpit and preached and taught men in in a situation where she had uh scriptural authority or could have had scriptural authority rather uh what what we're saying is that she very humbly took this young boy aside and taught him what the lord had taught her which is not the same thing as like what spurgeon's college is doing nowadays by giving uh, essentially Spurgeon's seal of approval on ministry he could not have approved. Does that make sense, dear brother? Yep, it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm a little uneasy with the Mary King thing just personally, but but yeah. it's still not what like Rick Warren and Spurgeon's college is making it out to be now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, when you this, get, yeah. When you get to so, age fifteen, that's you know you're moving into young young adulthood there, young man. Especially back you know 150 years ago, right? Yeah, matured a lot more quickly than they tend to do nowadays. But uh, yeah, I'm right. not. I'm I'm with you. I'm not entirely comfortable with that either. But uh, but yeah, you're still even with that. You're still light years yeah. from where 
Rick Warren is and Spurgeon's college is today. So, yep, yep. And and, and if I could give uh, another encouragement to women, this is a very encouraging uh, quote here. This this is from a sermon. I know Mother's Day is past at the time we're recording this, but but it's so helpful and an encouragement. Um, and this is from sermon number 1340, and it's called Manoah's Wife and Her Excellent Argument. And this is the scripture that it's based off of. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would us at this time have told us such things as these. And here's the quote that I lifted uh, from that sermon. I think I also uh, found this one at the Nine Marks article as well. And I just think it's so helpful. Uh, once again, Another remark is that this is that it is a great mercy to have a Christian companion to go to for counsel and comfort whenever your soul is depressed. Manoah had married a capital wife. She was the better one of the two in sound judgment. She was the weaker vessel by nature, but she was the stronger believer. And probably that was why the angel was sent to her. For the angels are best pleased to speak with those who have faith, and if they pick, and if they have the pick of their company, and the wife has more faith than the husband, they will visit the wife sooner than her spouse. For they love to take God's messages to those who will receive them with confidence. She was full of faith, evidently, and so when her husband, trembling, said, "We shall surely die." She did not believe in such a mistrustful inference. Moreover, though they say women cannot reason, yet here was a woman whose arguments were logical and overwhelming. Certain it is that women's perceptions are generally far clearer than men's reasonings. They look at once into a truth while we are hunting for our spectacles. <laughs> I love that. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, their their instincts are generally as safe as our reasonings, and therefore, when they have, in addition, a clear logical mind, they make the wisest of counselors. So I say that to say Spurgeon did not believe that that women were were dinglings that never get anything right. You know, he didn't he didn't be believe that they were ditzy, stupid, had nothing to contribute. But right. Spurgeon based his complementarian convictions off of what the scriptures um, say in in First Timothy that that uh, Eve was the one who fell. Yeah, and yeah. and he based his complementarian complementarian convictions off the order of the fall. Eve was the one. That was primarily deceived by by the serpent. So, yeah. so she received the the greater curse in some aspects. 
So, so with that said, Spurgeon uh, would would also uh, fight against uh, the idea of of well, women are just stupid and they don't know anything ever. So the the that that pendulum can swing way too far the other way, and Spurgeon would say, "No, no, no. They they're very competent and." Any man that I've talked to that's married to a godly woman uh, has said that certain things like this have happened to them, where where just the beauty of complementarian conviction just shines forth like a beautiful rainbow. Yeah, indeed, indeed, brother. And as one of those men who is married to uh, a very theologically astute godly woman, and I am Mm -hmm. um, Kathy, yeah, I would, mm-hmm. you know, I tell you what, I would, Kathy is, she's never been to seminary or anything mm-hmm. like that, not even Bible college, but I would put Kathy up against just about, just about anybody theologically. She knows her stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, she can hang with the best of them when it comes to theology. And, but she would be the first to tell you mm-hmm. that a woman's place is not behind the pulpit. A woman's right. place is not in the public proclamation proclamation of the gospel it's not an open air preaching she does yep. not like that um you know one-on-one evangelism preferably with other women that's you know that's yeah she's all over that i mean she's yeah. she's good at that she's good at one-on-one discipleship discipleship but um she's not that's that's as far as she she toes a, a hard line on that right no rightly so but yeah, right. i tell you what i in no way consider myself to be um, you know, Kathy's superior in, in any, in any capacity. She's absolutely. And because she knows her stuff, she knows what the Bible says about the roles of men and women. So she's fine with that. So absolutely. And, and any dear sister that may struggle inwardly, like, Oh, Oh, I wish I could preach. And they wish that itch would be scratched. They don't know what let, they're. Let, they don't know what they're. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me just say this: um, you you will be much more joyful if you humbly submit to what God's word says. Yep. You may not feel like that now, but we as Christians are not called to trust our feelings uh, in and of themselves, because our, our feelings are not trustworthy. Yeah. And, and that that is why we must sit under good, godly, sound preaching. So yeah. we yeah. we've we've got to. Amen. So Amen. Um, brother, could I encourage any preachers that may be listening to uh, the podcast with with a few quotes from Spurgeon on the seriousness of preaching? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So so. We we had talked about like in the quotation from from the from the priest that Spurgeon rejoiced in the fact that the gospel was proclaimed even from this uh, guy who was part of a corrupt apostate church, and and, and he goes on uh, in other areas to say things like this. I alluded to this. I did not read this. Spurgeon is. Uh, talking to his um, to his uh, students, his all male students, I should say, 
at the at the original pastor's college. And if you don't know about lectures to my students, if you've never read it, you gotta read it. Uh that that was the Friday afternoon lectures that he gave. And some of them were very intense. Some of them were lighthearted and full of funny stuff. So um it, it varied, but it was always good content. Um I believe this quote is an excerpt from one of the lectures. Okay. Listen to what he says here. Oh, sirs, preaching is not child's play. Some persons say, I will go hear Mr. So-and-so, and they go, just to amuse themselves. But do you think that a true minister will preach to amuse you? It is it his business to do so? Oh, believe me, it is a solemn work to stand and speak for God and in his name. Do you ever think what it is to preach God's word? If at the last great day it shall be shown that we have not preached faithfully to you, if we have not declared the whole counsel of God, you indeed must perish, but your blood will be required at our hands. And then, do you know what solemn work it is to hear? Oh, if the damned spirits in hell could come to earth, they would let you know what solemn work it is to hear the gospel. Stuff like that's why I love Charles Spurgeon. Yeah, yeah. He is He is indeed one of the most uh, quotable preachers who's ever lived. And I've heard his, I've heard people say his vocabulary was, I don't know how they measured this, but his vocabulary said to have been almost twice that of the average person's vocabulary. Yep. You, you know what's one of my favorite words I've ever come across? And it's a it's a word from Spurgeon. What's that? L- lugubrious. Lugubrious, yes. Yeah. So have you heard that word before? I have heard that word. Yes, I have. It, wasn't it may have me, actually been it? from Spurgeon that I heard it, yeah. Oh, okay. well, Spurgeon only used it like three times in his whole preaching ministry. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that because I looked it up. And, Unless he used it somewhere else that we don't have uh, copies of. But in, yeah. in the six to three volume set, he only said it three times. And, yeah. and I had to look this word up when I ran across it. But it means sorrowful or sad. And that's why. Well, yeah. why didn't you just say sad? Everybody knows that word. <laughs> I know. I know. I think yeah. I may have heard it from Phil Johnson, actually, who is another. And he may have been quoting Spurge. I can't remember. Maybe it was Phil yeah. Johnson. but and uh, Maybe. We'll, yeah. we'll blame it on Phil. How's that? Yeah, we'll blame so, it on Phil. So, yeah. So, well, um, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just, uh, before we sign off here, Ed, unless there's something else you want to address, or um, um, I wanted to ask you a, a little bit about what you're doing and uh, if maybe there's some pastors watching. <laughs> let, let me just say this um, any pastors who are watching, I've heard Ed preach. He preaches behind the pulpit. He also preaches open air, and uh, he he definitely puts feet to his faith. He's a wonderful, very able, very capable expositor of Scripture. So if you are looking for someone to <laughs> preach for you, um, maybe come to a conference, uh, Ed, Ed, I would highly, highly commend to you without any reservations. And uh, so, Ed, I want people to know how they can get in touch with you and maybe even if people 
would like to help support what you're doing, uh, how they can do that. And anything else you'd like to say? Right, right. So um, as far as getting in touch with me, uh, my email is the safest way in a in a world where people like to get weird information. So uh, so Ed Romine 90, that's E-D-R-O-M-I-N-E, nine zero, the numbers, Ed Romine 90 at gmail.com. And uh, I believe I also... Uh, gave you just in my Twitter, which pe- people are welcome to follow me on that. Uh, I, I live a pretty boring Twitter life. I just like encouraging other people and poking fun at my friends. Uh, I don't use Twitter for for a ton of controversy. I mean, people want to know what I think about something. They can listen to, to a podcast like this or listen to my sermons. I just don't really like the avenue of like only 180 characters to say what I want to say. So, so, you know, and that's me. I know other people are different, but I just use it for encouragement and, and, uh, for my own ed- edification. I, I actually like looking up dog videos. So there you go. Something, uh, something about me. Yep. So, so, but, uh, but so that's that. You can follow me on the Twitter. You can, uh, uh, I'll, I also have a site page on the YouTube. You can look up, uh, just if you type in my name, then the word sermons, uh, my own account will come up. And then, uh, I preach regularly as one of the pastors of the First Baptist Church of Provo, which kind of segues into the other thing you wanted me to talk about. Um, I have been, uh, for the most part, here at FBC Provo since uh, 2019. I absolutely love this church. I get the joy and privilege of being a member and a pastor of the First Baptist Church of Provo. Um, I get the joy of serving with Russ Robinson and Brendan Scoggin, and uh, they are two good brothers, say, uh, they love me. I love them. And we cut up. We have a lot of fun, but we also know when to be serious. I tell younger guys, you know, when you get in the ministry, find you uh, brothers like I have with uh, Russ Robinson and Brendan Scoggin. I, mm-hmm. I love those men. And also, one of our deacons, he serves as a deacon and an evangelist, uh, Brother John Cower. Uh, I love doing ministry with him. And to put it shortly and succinctly, Provo, Utah is where Brigham Young University is located. Yeah. A lot of people think it's in Salt Lake. It's not. It's in Provo. And the statistics most recently uh, say that it's about 79 to 80% uh, Latter-day Saint here, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, more commonly known as Mormon, and uh, we don't want to do a whole nother hour on on another podcast. But to put it shortly, um, the LDS doctrine can cannot be Christian in the true historical sense. Um, that they're they're wrong on who and what God is. They're wrong on justification. If you have a problem with what I said just there. I, done other podcasts elsewhere with 
various ministries where I go more in depth on that. Mm-hmm. But but just for quickness and time's sake, um, they, they they cannot be Christians as long as they hold to the doctrines that they hold to. Um, and, and with that said, with that said, um, I love the LDS people. I, I love them. I love them. I love them. I really do. Um, Lord willing, uh, I want to spend the rest of my life here in Provo being my primary ministry, um, strengthening churches here in Utah, number one, and then evangelizing the LDS, number two. So, yeah. so, so it's, it's a, just a joy to be able to, serve as a local church pastor and 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 to be involved in evangelism and teaching and preaching and and i'm not i'm not the main preaching pastor for our church where the brendan is but i actually like that arrangement uh, because it allows me to go and travel and preach and teach at other churches so like next week at the time of this recording um, i'm actually going to be doing a full-on lecture at a Spurgeon conference covering more in depth what we started out the podcast with. And uh, every time I go somewhere to teach or preach, I consider that an extension of my uh, local church ministry here at First Baptist Provo. So so it's just a joy to be able to do that. And um, as you might imagine, Dear listener, uh, we don't have a ton of money being a, a evangelical Protestant church in the state of Utah. And uh, the way that I make my money is through uh, fundraising and, and through preaching at various churches. And, and uh, God has been so good to me in order to let me do that. But but my goal is to raise enough money so that I can buy a forever home out here. And and so to put really practical terms on it, for me as a single minister, I'm not married, it'd take about fifty to fifty-five thousand dollars a year for me to live um comfortably, but not live high on a hog like a joy boy preacher. Um but to be comfortably situated with a house of my own, that that's my goal. And um, uh, housing, the average price starts out about five hundred forty-five thousand. So you know it's it's uh, pretty steep out here. Yeah. So God, God has been good to me. I've I've never not once been without. But I would like to eventually move into my own forever home out here and uh, quit living at the church. But the church has been uh, good to me. I just don't want to be 80 years old and st- still living in the church if I can help. Yeah. Them, so. You live inside the church. You have your own like little apartment that they made for you. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, um, and uh, it's, it's been Good to me, but uh, long term, it's not ideal to stay there. If that makes sense, yeah. or stay here rather. Yeah, sure. So, sure. Okay. All so right. If if anybody feels so led to give, I'm 
sure Brother Justin will be able to give the instructions in the show notes, or you can email me. Uh, you know, I'll give you my phone number over email, and, and we can call and talk. And If I could say this, um, if there's a pastor listening and you want to equip your people on, on, on talking to Mormons, uh, I love doing that. Because yeah. a, a lot of Baptist lay people don't know how to talk to the Mormons, to the LDS. Yeah. And you don't, you don't want your people to be targets for them. Right. And, and then, of course, as Justin said, I do love uh, the formal pulpit ministry as well and, and all that good stuff. So, yeah. Well, Ed, thank you, brother. Um, thank you so much for giving us your time today, your expertise on Spurgeon and helping us to understand these issues. And um, I think it's been very helpful. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, brother. I appreciate right. your friendship as well. Love you, dear brother. Appreciate you as well. Love you too, bud. Love you too. Okay, dear ones, thank you very much for watching. All of the pertinent links down below in the description right there and uh, its contact information as well. So thank you very much. Until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.